Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. President Biden heading to Europe today for an emergency NATO summit. And Russia says a proposal to send NATO peacekeepers to Ukraine could lead to problems. Russia's leader plans to attend G20. That's as Western nations assess whether or not Russia should remain in the group. All the while, China says no member has the right to remove another member. Russia's deputy prime minister says global oil and gas markets may collapse if sanctions are imposed on its energy sector. And Germany's chancellor says its ties to Russian energy won't end overnight. China has found one of two black boxes that belong to the airliner that crashed with over 100 people on board. The cause of the unusual accident is still unclear. President Joe Biden is traveling to Brussels, Belgium today. It's for an emergency NATO summit tomorrow on the conflict in Ukraine. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. President Biden's heading to Europe Wednesday. The White House says these are his main objectives. Helping the Ukrainian people defend themselves, imposing and increasing costs on Russia, and reinforcing the Western alliance. Biden's flying in for an emergency NATO summit on Ukraine Thursday. Ukraine says some 100,000 people are trapped in the besieged city of Mariupol. New satellite images from Maxar Technologies show more destruction across the city. Other Ukrainians are battling to protect the capital, Kyiv, and other cities. And the UN says more than three and a half million refugees have fled to neighboring countries to escape the fighting. Meanwhile, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov Wednesday said Poland's proposal of sending peacekeepers to Ukraine is a bad idea. This will be the direct clash between the Russian and NATO armed forces that everyone has not tried to avoid, but said should not take place in principle. Poland said last week it would formally submit a proposal for a peacekeeping mission in Ukraine at the next NATO summit. Russia Wednesday said its forces hit a Ukrainian arms depot outside the country's northwestern city of Rivna Tuesday, destroying an arsenal of weapons and equipment. NTD was unable to independently verify the report. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky on Tuesday said peace talks with Russia are difficult, but they're moving forward. We are continuing to work at different levels to encourage Russia to move forward toward peace and end this brutal war. Ukrainian representatives are participating in talks that are taking place virtually every day. It's very difficult, sometimes confrontational. Russia's accused Ukraine of stalling talks. Although negotiators have been talking regularly, both sides say any deal is far off. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Poland's special services has asked the foreign ministry to expel 45 Russian diplomats. There is suspicion the diplomats are working for Russian intelligence. That's according to a spokesman for the Minister of Special Services. A Polish government spokesman said the Russian ambassador to Warsaw has been summoned to the foreign ministry. Decisions on further steps will be announced after the meeting. Russia's foreign ministry says that Russia will retaliate if its diplomats are expelled from Poland. Russian President Vladimir Putin plans to attend the G20 summit. That's according to Russia's ambassador to Indonesia. The ambassador dismissed calls to remove Russia from the group. 
Actually, what they're doing, you know, the WTO, the, I don't know, the custom organization, so what they're trying to do is you actually to destroy the whole uh, trade uh, and logistic system that has been so painstakingly built in the last uh, decades. Uh, the question is why? So the reaction of the West is absolutely unproportional. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has reportedly led to Western leaders assessing whether Russia should remain in the group of 20. But what does China think of the idea? Here's what the Chinese foreign ministry has to say. The G20 is the main forum for international economic corporations bringing together the world's major economies. Russia is an important member, and no member has the right to remove any country's membership. This comes as the Italian prime minister calls on China not to support Russia following its invasion. The diplomatic effort must also involve other countries. In particular, China plays a highly influential role in global geopolitical and security dynamics. We must reiterate our expectation that Beijing will refrain from actions in support of Moscow and participate actively and authoritatively in the peace effort. What's more, White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan gave a briefing on China and Russia. He said he hasn't seen China supplying military equipment to Russia since President Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping spoke. Poland has to contend not just with the war in Ukraine, but with Russia's military deployments to Belarus, which have fundamentally changed the security equation there. And so for all of those reasons, we feel that it is the right place for him to go to be able to see troops, to be able to see humanitarian experts, and to be able to meet with the front line and very vulnerable ally. Other reasons for the visit include the fact that Poland is bearing the brunt of the humanitarian impact and that the U.S. has sent a lot of troops there to defend the eastern flank. China doubled its liquefied natural gas purchases from Russia in February, compared to the same month last year. That's according to a Bloomberg report citing Chinese customs officials. The data shows that Beijing bought about 400,000 tons of Russian gas last month. The figure represents 8% of China's total gas imports for the month. In the first two months of the year, China imported 12 million tons of crude oil from Russia. Beijing's orders have provided Moscow with important revenue amid rounds of global sanctions. They are also undermining China's alleged neutral position in the war in Ukraine. Since Russia's invasion started, Beijing has been trying to portray itself as a neutral party. And at a meeting several weeks before the war, Russian and Chinese leaders redefined their ties as a no-limits partnership. Microsoft confirms it suffered a security breach. Officials say they were hacked by Lapsus, a cyber criminal group. According to a blog post on Tuesday, the tech giant says Lapsus broke through an account and that allowed it to have limited access to some Microsoft systems. However, Microsoft says no customer data was compromised. The announcement comes after Lapsus took credit for getting into Okta, a popular digital identity management firm. Lapsus also boasted about breaking into chip giant NVIDIA earlier this month. The FBI echoed President Biden's recent warnings of possible Russian cyber attacks. During an appearance before the Detroit Economic Club, FBI Director Christopher Wray said the Bureau is on alert for cyber threats from Russian intelligence. 
we are, of course, concerned about the possibility, uh, as the President said, of the Russians, uh, whether it's their intelligence services or cyber criminal groups working uh, with them, uh, targeting U.S. critical infrastructure, either in retaliation for our sanctions or for some other means. President Joe Biden on Monday urged U.S. companies to make sure their digital doors are locked tight. He warned that Russia could launch cyber attacks against critical targets in the country. Ray doubled down on those warnings. He said his concerns are not just based on a long-term understanding of how the Russians operate, but also a product of current work the FBI is doing. Long before Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the federal government warned U.S. companies of the threat from Russian hackers. One government agency launched the Shields Up campaign to help companies strengthen their own defenses. The agency urged companies to back up data and to take other steps to improve cybersecurity. A member of Congress is calling on the FBI to investigate concerns of espionage at the Russian diplomatic compound in New York City. New York Congressman Richie Torres spoke at a press conference outside the gates of the compound. He said he is responding to complaints from Bronx residents. They worry the compound is home to Russian foreign agents and spies who may be gathering sensitive information on the United States. This compound was built for the purpose of housing members of the Russian mission to the UN compound, to the U- to United Nations. And we know that uh, diplomatic missions often serve as a Trojan horse for foreign espionage. Torres said if law enforcement or the intelligence services come to discover that there are diplomats here who are functioning as spies, those spies should be expelled. He serves as the vice chair on the Committee on Homeland Security. Russia's deputy prime minister warns of a possible collapse of the global oil and gas market. That's in the case of energy sanctions imposed on Moscow. And Germany's chancellor says the country's energy dependence on Russia will not end overnight. Russia's deputy prime minister Alexander Novak sent a warning about sanctions against Russian energy. Addressing the country's lawmakers, he said the global oil and gas market may collapse. As is known, Russia is the largest supplier of energy resources to international markets. We have 30 percent share of the global export market at the world trade level. It is obvious that without Russian hydrocarbons, global oil and natural gas markets may collapse. Novak cited the EU's ban on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. He said that decision led to a spike in energy prices across Europe, particularly in Germany. The price of electricity in Europe has increased tenfold, and the price of gas for consumers has increased fivefold. And for example, in Germany, the price for fuel has increased by 40 percent. In a budget speech to Parliament, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz affirmed that Germany will reduce energy dependence on Russia, but he cautioned this will not happen immediately. We will end this dependency as quickly as we possibly can, but to do that from one day to the next will mean plunging our country and the whole of Europe into a recession. Hundreds of thousands of jobs would be at risk. Entire branches of industry would be on the brink. Scholz added sanctions must not hit Europe harder than the Russian leadership. He also renewed the call for a ceasefire in the ongoing war. This war is destroying Ukraine, but with the war, Putin is also destroying Russia's future. The guns and weapons must be silent, and they must be silent now.
The Chancellor pledged to increase defense spending along with other NATO allies, but he continued to rule out the possibility of a no-fly zone in Ukraine airspace. Ukrainian President Zelensky is calling to put more pressure on Moscow. Ukraine says over 15,000 Russian troops have been killed thus far. This comes as Russian President Putin held a call with French President Macron on peace talks between Russia and Ukraine. Here to give us some perspective on the crisis is U.S. Representative Scott Franklin of Florida. Well, we all continue to watch uh, with a lot of concern as these events unfold. Obviously, uh, this war has not gone any way uh, near uh, as Putin had intended for it to go. He thought this was going to be a cakewalk. And candidly, I think a lot of NATO and, and, and other parts of the world have been very surprised at the resistance that the Ukrainians have been able to put up. Uh, Zelensky has done a great job of, of rallying his folks. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we did not have the weapons in there that he needed to support the cause early enough. Ukrainians have held back the Russians for four weeks now. What new phase are we entering here? I just think we're in a long and drawn out um, siege campaign. And I think that the, the more we can provide, continue to provide uh, the shoulder-fired missiles and, and sophisticated surface-to-air missiles, it will prevent uh, Putin from gaining air superiority over the country, which I think has, has really helped the Ukrainian cause to this point. Uh, because he doesn't have air superiority, a lot of those Soviet fighters, the Russian fighters, are having to launch weapons from inside Russian airspace into Ukraine. And that's also why I, I'm not a fan of, uh, of necessarily supplying them with MiGs. Um, you know, the Polish MiGs, not only are they not the, the frontline capable fighters that the Russians have, so I think they'd be at a disadvantage, but in many cases, the weapons that the, the Russian fighters are launching are not even being launched from the Ukrainian airspace. Uh, the reason the Russian fighters aren't coming into Ukraine is because they're getting shot down by surface air missiles. So I think that's a more effective uh, way for us to support them. And Congressman, what do you make of China's implied support of Russia throughout all this? Yeah, China's in a very uh, tricky situation here, and, and I think you know, we're, we're watching this very carefully. I don't think China wants to be considered uh, partnered at the hip with Russia on this. They know how bad it looks on the world stage. Uh, the Chinese depend on uh, a lot of things from other parts of the world. We get a lot of our, uh, you know, our cheap goods from China, but they also uh, get a lot of their food and other things necessary to, to feed and clothe their society from, from outside of their borders. And the last thing that they want to do is become broad brush with Russia as being bad actors. So I think they're walking a delicate line uh, and, and we're, we're watching very closely the extent of real support they provide them. Two days after the crash of a Chinese airliner, officials say they have found one of the plane's two black boxes. Search work is continuing despite poor weather conditions. China has found one of the two black boxes from the China Eastern Airlines plane that crashed on Monday. Just before our press conference, we got the information from the investigation team of the Civil Aviation Administration. We found a recorder belonging to the black box at the scene this afternoon. China's aviation director said the device is in severely damaged condition, and it is unclear whether it's a flight data recorder or a voice recorder. The plane plunged into a mountainside in Guangxi province. A total of 132 people were on board. The information we received indicated that the weather conditions during the aircraft's route were normal, and the air traffic control department did not receive reports of dangerous weather. The cause of the crash is still a mystery. On-site search work is continuing, but heavy rains and the risk of landslides have affected the efforts. 
Grief-stricken relatives arrived at a village near the crash site. All I want is hope, the hope of survival. The government didn't say anything. I'm here to check it out. Volunteers are joining the search efforts. I have experience in the mountains and I have a healthy body, so I want to come and cooperate with them in the search. This is out of my own willingness and I've covered my own travel. The Boeing 737-800 involved in the crash is used around the world and has a strong safety record. Just ahead, Honda is checking for wind noise in their electric vehicles at a wind tunnel in Ohio. They want to find out more about the sounds these cars make to satisfy their customers. And the luxury housing market in Los Angeles is booming. A combination of remote working plus a desire for the California lifestyle are encouraging buyers. Get the details in just a minute here on NTD News. Nonprofit journalism group Project Veritas says U.S. authorities secretly accessed their emails. The group told a judge the surveillance started in early 2020. Search warrants and non-disclosure orders were submitted to the judge. They show that the government ordered Microsoft to hand over information about the group's email addresses. FBI agents said the information was relevant and material to an ongoing criminal investigation. Documents obtained by the Epic Times show that the FBI has been investigating the possible theft of a diary. That diary belongs to President Biden's daughter, Ashley Biden. The Bureau raided the home of the group's founder and other locations as part of the probe. Project Veritas and its lawyers say it is baseless because they didn't steal the diary and that in the end, they handed it over to the local law enforcement. The group says the new documents show the government has been circumventing a special master who was appointed to shield protected materials from federal investigators. The threat of tornadoes and strong thunderstorms loomed over the deep south in the United States on Tuesday, a day after the same system produced twisters that destroyed homes and injured at least several people. Torn down homes and piles of debris stretched across north and central Texas after the tornadoes tore through the region. The National Weather Service reports several people across the state have been injured. In the city of Round Rock, about 20 miles away from Austin, a tornado hit Terry Grondin's home of more than 30 years. We tried to get through, streets were blocked. I didn't care, I ran over here and I saw on my house and I was devastated, outright devastated. And, uh, I didn't know what to do. I still don't know what to do, take the truth. I'm just trying to see how we get things done so we can get back to normal life, whatever we can do. At least one person is reported dead after a large tornado wreaked havoc in New Orleans on Tuesday. According to poweroutages.com, some 55,000 people in Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi remained without power as of Tuesday afternoon. The city of Miami Beach Commission voted unanimously at a Tuesday emergency meeting to impose a curfew during spring break festivities. The midnight curfew starts at 12.01 a.m. Thursday and expires Monday morning at 6 a.m. It comes after two shootings left five people injured last weekend. Miami Beach Mayor Dan Gelber announced the curfew Monday but needed the commission's approval to go past 72 hours. Police Chief Richard Clements 
said there were 10 police officers within 10 to 15 feet of a Saturday night shooting. He added that since spring break season began in February, nine officers have been injured in some capacity. The Oklahoma Highway Patrol says six teenage students are dead after two vehicles collided in southern Oklahoma. OHP says the students were in a passenger vehicle that collided with a semi in Toshamingo. That's about 100 miles southwest of Oklahoma City. The agency did not provide more details of the collision, nor the exact ages of the students, but it said all six victims were female. The condition of the semi-driver was not immediately known. The city's public school superintendent said the district had a great loss involving students from the district's high school. The DEA shut down what it calls a major narcotic trafficking organization in California last week. A months-long investigation netted the seizure of 50,000 fentanyl pills and 45 pounds of methamphetamine in Camarillo. The fentanyl pills were copies of prescription oxycodone tablets, but were laced with potentially fatal doses of the synthetic opioid instead. Seven suspects were taken into custody in connection with the seizure. The arrests come as U.S. overdose deaths reach another record high, largely due to a surge caused by fentanyl. Since taking office in 2019, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has pledged to shake up school standards and help students develop real-world skills. On Tuesday, Florida joined six other states that require students to learn how to manage money. NTD's Arlene Richards has the story. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill Tuesday that requires high school students to complete a half-credit course in financial literacy in order to graduate. At the signing ceremony, DeSantis said the bill's requirements are key to ensuring students are fully educated. We try to uh, really work hard to provide students with the fullest education possible. According to the governor, the course will teach students basic money management, like how to file taxes and the fundamentals of investing. He hopes the course will help improve students' ability to manage their finances in the real world and in their careers. What the bill's doing with financial literacy uh, is really providing a foundation for students that's going to be applicable in their lives regardless of what path they take. DeSantis said he is building off his promise to eliminate Common Core, the national academic standard used by the majority of states, saying that Florida has already incorporated financial principles in math courses and that this latest requirement is consistent with the state's high academic standards. The law will start to apply in the 2023-24 school year. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Japanese carmaker Honda is unveiling a $124 million wind tunnel in Ohio. They will use it to measure the wind noises of electric vehicles and how they affect the driving experience for passengers. Let's take a look. Electric vehicles don't have much engine noise, but other sounds like tire noise and wind become more apparent. Honda's new Automotive Laboratories of Ohio, or HALO, facility intends to find out how these noises will affect the driving experience for passengers. This facility, in tandem working with our scale wind tunnel, now gives the engineers the, all the tools, all the best tools, to exercise all of the details of the car we need to optimize everything as, as best we possibly can. The wind tunnel can generate wind speeds of more than 190 miles per hour. It's equipped with a five-belt rolling road system designed for vehicle development. 
There's also a second single wide belt system to test sports cars and race vehicles. More than 500 microphones are used to measure magnitude and detect exactly where sound occurs in the vehicle. So all of those sounds um, uh, we have to deal with in different ways. This facility allows us to identify those sounds. We can quickly pinpoint where they're at and why they're happening. The wind tunnel is worth $124 million. Honda is hoping to boost its presence in Ohio. The leader of Halo says the research is mainly about satisfying the customers. And it's really about how that perception is. We want to make sure the customer's happy. When we move to BEVs, now we're no longer going to have the exhaust sound, the engine sound. So the wind noise is become, going to become more apparent and we have to pay more attention to it than ever before. Upon full operation, researchers from other companies will be able to rent out private space to test their own products. The housing market is heating up. Los Angeles became the top seller of homes priced at over $10 million in 2021, making it a luxury hotspot for wealthy buyers to compete in bidding wars. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. The Los Angeles luxury housing market is booming. 2021 sales in Southern California reached all-time highs. Now, demand is outpacing supply. The region attracts many buyers, who often buy cash and without contingencies. From 2020 to 2021, there has been a 100% increase in sales volume, which is unheard of. And right now, we are number one in the United States for luxury sales over $10 million. Los Angeles has 27% of that market. Experts say prices keep increasing and many buyers want to change their living space due to the pandemic and desire the Californian lifestyle. There are a combination of factors that are causing this. The first being remote work. The mobility. People are able to live wherever they want today. And where do they want to live? In Los Angeles, with the sunshine and the beaches and the mountains. Trina Bennett is the seller of this property valued at $29 million. For that price, the buyer will get 7.5 acres, as well as an almost 13,000 square foot house with nine bedrooms and 11 bathrooms. We've had uh, strong offers on our house and we've had a bidding war and uh, it came in over our asking price, which was surprising to us. And I think that happened because people are looking for properties that are unique. Nancy Mishkin eventually won a bidding war. Her family has bought nine luxury houses in the Los Angeles area over the last 45 years. She says it's never been like this. It used to be where you bought a house and they, uh, they asked a certain amount of money and you put in an offer and then they, came, they countered you and then it didn't take long and you agreed on a price. It's different today. Today there's a price on the house, but I'm finding people are paying a half a million to 750000 more than the asking price. Experts say the market is expected to remain strong through the first two quarters of 2022 because of current inflation and interest rates that remain low, though many say they expect the California market to stay competitive for much longer. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The United States and Britain have struck a trade deal. The U.S. will lift tariffs on British steel and aluminum, and the U.K. will remove levies on U.S. motorcycles, whiskey, and tobacco. U.S. officials say Britain can ship steel and aluminum goods to the U.S. starting June 1st without the tariffs imposed under the Trump administration. In return, the U.K. will remove tariffs on more than $500 million worth of U.S. products. 
The deal also requires any U.K. steel company owned by a Chinese entity to have its financial records audited. This is to assess influence from the Chinese regime. The results of these audits must be shared with the United States. The U.S. Secretary of Commerce says the deal will ease inflationary pressures in the U.S. and reopen the U.K. to American goods. Britain's trade minister said the deal would help support some 80,000 jobs across Britain. In 2018, the Trump administration imposed tariffs on aluminum and on steel to protect U.S. producers from a flood of subsidized imports. Still to come, Ukrainian athletes are fleeing their country and settling in Europe. Several sports clubs are welcoming them and providing them with accommodations and training. A theater in western Ukraine becomes a volunteer kitchen. Actors are feeding people displaced by the war. Find out more after this short break. Sports clubs in the Balkans are providing refuge, training, and competition for athletes fleeing Ukraine. Two sports clubs, one in Bosnia and one in Bulgaria, say they are doing this to show solidarity. Here are the details. Following Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the student volleyball club in Mostar, Bosnia, offered to help Ukrainian athletes fleeing their country. The director of the club says they didn't expect any response to their offer but are now hosting seven players from a sports club in the Ukrainian city of Balta. My teammate uh, uh, sent me a message that uh, we have an opportunity to go in Bosnia and Herzegovina, that we have those uh, propositions and um, uh, we don't know where we're going and we don't know anyone here and it was very unexpected but uh, it's a very good proposition for us. The director of the club in Bosnia says they had no contact with sports clubs in Ukraine prior to the war. But memories of the Yugoslav wars in the 1990s spurred them to act. That kind of war narrative was revived in all of us. Regardless of what side we're on, all of us have been through this not long ago. The Ukrainian athletes in Bosnia say they don't have any plans yet. Because we don't know when a war will be uh, end, will finish, and uh, of course we want to go home to our families, our friends. But uh, now we uh, don't know where it will, uh, when it will be. Four more members of the Ukrainian volleyball club are on their way to Bosnia. Meanwhile, in Bulgaria, the country's tennis federation is also offering help for Ukrainian families with tennis players. The owner of Hispano Tennis Club in Verna, Bulgaria, is hosting two families. I could not just be an indifferent spectator and watch what is happening on TV from my couch, as if it was some reality show. That is why I decided I had to do something. I did not hesitate when I got the first call and responded immediately. One of the new arrivals is a 14-year-old girl who has won competitions in Odessa, Ukraine. Bulgaria's Tennis Association has helped about 12 families with young tennis players so far. A theater in western Ukraine has been transformed into a volunteer kitchen where the actors make the food. They're cooking for soldiers and people displaced by the fighting. NTD's Earl Rhodes brings us this report. In a warmly lit theater cafe in the Ukrainian city of Drohobych, actors used to the big stage now have a very different job. 
They're making food to be sent to the front line or shared with people in need. Alash Kondina is part of a collective war effort by volunteers across the country. There is a saying that when the guns sound, muses are silent. But we are not silent. We're in the rear. We're engaged in volunteer work because Ukraine is in a difficult situation now. The operation in Drohobych involves about 150 volunteers, including artists displaced from other parts of Ukraine who now live at the theatre. In the courtyard, soot-handed men chop wood for the cooking fires. The theatre's director lists the variety of meals made by volunteers over the past few weeks. We made more than 3,000 meatballs, 150 kilograms of stewed cabbage with meat, more than 10,000 Vereniki pancakes with potato. They have also made filling for the classic Slavic soup, borscht, as well as fried fish and pancakes. Natenko seems especially proud of the food sent to soldiers in the capital, where some areas have collapsed into brutal fighting in near-freezing weather. Despite being far from the front line, the volunteers say they are together in this fight. Earl Rhodes, NTD News. Ukrainian scientists stationed in Antarctica are stranded on the icy continent. They're having trouble returning to their home cities amid the war. Ukraine has a research facility in Antarctica called the Vernadsky Station. The British originally set it up, but transferred it to Ukraine in 1996. The station currently houses 12 researchers and support staff. More scientists are scheduled to arrive on a research vessel that left Ukraine at the end of January before the war broke out. Earlier this month, members of the research station addressed their fellow countrymen in a video. They said, our hearts are filled with pain from what's happening in our homeland. Unfortunately, we can't join the soldiers, the territorial defense and volunteers now, but we are doing everything we can to help our country. One researcher says the stress they feel is very strong, and for some, it's almost unbearable. It may be on the other side of the continent, but Italy's agriculture industry is also feeling the effects of the war in Ukraine. You see, Ukraine is a global supplier of animal feed, and supplies are falling fast across southern Europe. Asaltsu is an Italian livestock farmers association. The group warns that hundreds of cows now risk being slaughtered this is because materials used to produce their food may only last for another month. Association President Michelle Leverini says if dairy cows are slaughtered, it would take years to produce milk again. In the case of dairy cows, if we stop and send dairy cows to slaughter, it will take seven to eight years to rebuild a barn to produce milk again. The problem is very serious. It has to be analyzed by all of us in the chain from the large-scale retail trade to the farms, cereal growers, and importers. We must have a role of responsibility at this time, and we must bring an increase to the end customer, to the housewife, to the family, but at least assure them of the food. We cannot do it any other way. The chief executive of a milk producer in southern Italy says the war has made a difficult time even worse. The Ukrainian-Russian conflict has taken over from an already stressful period for us, after two long pandemic years, which had already put a strain on business management. We currently have problems with the purchase of feed for the animals. Above all, there is also a problem with transport and therefore the impossibility of having supplies on time. So this is what we are suffering and paying a lot for today. Italy has called for EU rules that limit state aid to be suspended 
and Spain has taken steps to allow emergency purchases of corn from Argentina and Brazil. China's Evergrande is making headlines again. A Chinese bank has just seized $2 billion from one of its subsidiaries. Apparently, the subsidiary put its cash up as collateral for someone else's loans. But this hidden liability was never disclosed to investors. It raises questions about just how big Evergrande's debt really is. Entity's Don Ma has the story. My first reaction to the overnight news on Evergrande is that I, I'm actually absolutely shocked. More questions today about just how much debt China Evergrande has and if investors are likely to get paid back. Evergrande says a Chinese bank has just seized $2 billion from Evergrande's Hong Kong subsidiary. Apparently, the subsidiary had put the cash up as collateral or insurance for somebody else's loan. When that somebody else couldn't pay back the loan, the bank stepped in to take the money. Brian McCarthy is the chief strategist at MacroLens. It's, it's uh, you know, either, either company-wide accounting fraud or at the very least, uh, a very serious lack of oversight. This loan guarantee wasn't recorded anywhere in Evergrande's books or the Evergrande subsidiaries' books. It should have been. Evergrande is calling it a, quote, major incident. What's raising even more eyebrows is that this subsidiary isn't even in the business of guaranteeing loans or issuing loans. It's a property maintenance company. So it might have been an under-the-table deal where some manager at the sub provided and said, I'll, I'll guarantee that debt for you for a payback, and now the debt's gone belly up and the money's gone. The $2 billion seized by the bank is pretty much all the subsidiary's cash. Evergrande's foreign investors are set to lose out as the property management division of the business was thought to be pretty valuable relative to the rest of the company. Evergrande is in the process of restructuring its global debt right now, and investors are waiting to see how much they'll get back. My guess is there'll be not much left for bondholders when that process is done. This story is still developing, so we'll keep you updated. Don Ma, NTD News. Up next, a troop in Australia still fights crime the old-fashioned way on horseback. They form a key unit of the local police in Queensland. A rural area of Italy is seeing a rise in popularity. A once vacant medieval hamlet is becoming a favorite place to escape to. Stay tuned for more in just a minute. The Michelin Guide gave out its prestigious three-star title to two new French restaurants on Tuesday. The recipients of the highest prize of the guide include chef Arnaud Dakel of Pakistan restaurant Plenitude Cheval Blanc Paris and Dimitri and Marcel Jonassou, who run La Villa Medi in the southern French city of Cassay. There are now 31 star establishments, three-star establishments in France and there are over 3,200 starred restaurants around the world. Established in 1900, the Red Guidebook is present across Europe, Asia, and the Americas. The ceremony was held in a theater in the historic, partially fortified French city of Cognac. It marked the resumption of activity under strict health guidelines following months of closures due to COVID-19 lockdowns. This year, six new chefs snagged two stars, while 41 received their first. Michelin said in early March its world-famous guide would suspend all restaurant recommendations in Russia in response to Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. 
The oldest police unit in Queensland, Australia, is still on the front lines fighting crime in an area of high-tech policing. They're a troop that rides on horseback. Let's take a look. This is the Mounted Unit, a 150-year-old police cavalry within the Queensland Police Service. As valiant as they appear, training on horseback is not easy for new recruits. They're sitting on top of a, you know, seven to eight hundred kilo animal who has a mind of its own. Um, and obviously that's where we're relying on the strong bonds that we have between the riders and the horses. The cavalry prepares for the unexpected with obstacles and distraction training. If I have to get into a brawl or a fight, probably not that intimidating on my own, but uh, on my horse, you know, I've got 750 kilos of amazing backup. Locals call them the Mounties. There are a total of nine officers and 12 horses working across Queensland. The community are a lot more willing to engage with us as police while we're on horse. And no two days are the same, from ceremonial duties at official events to crime fighting in late night party precincts. They also help out local police stations at frontline crime hotspots. Whether that's through community engagement or whether that's identifying uh, crime and offenders in areas that potentially service vehicles aren't able to get into. The cavalry has proven to be a powerful tool in the fight against crime. And the bond they forge between them is as strong as the horses themselves. And finally to Italy, a once vacant hamlet is one of many rural settlements now seeing a rise in popularity as people seek a quieter lifestyle and cheaper prices. This report comes from NTD's Neil Woodrow. When the sun comes up over the castle at Rocca Calascio, it is like a silent red thunder. Franco Cagnoli first saw the mountain hamlet high up in the Italian Apennines over 20 years ago when he was 16. He talks about it like a love story. It is the story of a 16-year-old boy who, while searching for his identity, arrived here in this place he did not know at the first light of dawn. I arrived here on my motorbike and saw the dawn lighting up the castle. It was a powerful scene that really blew me away. Depopulation of rural Italian villages began at the turn of the 20th century and accelerated after World War II when an economic boom created jobs in cities. But the villages and hamlets are now seeing a revival, fueled by cheap prices, smart working and a desire by younger people for a quiet lifestyle. Valeria Bifani left Rome in 1996 and spends most of her time in Rocca Calascio. She runs an online business selling woolen products that she makes on an old-fashioned wooden loom. People of the previous generation didn't appreciate or thought they didn't appreciate the land they lived in. Even though deep in their hearts they may have loved their land, if they had the choice they would go and live elsewhere. Today's teenagers, like my children, are proud of their land and are happy if they can stay here. The castle at Rocca Calascio is one of the highest in Europe, and its foundations date back a thousand years. Franco's yearning to be close to it never faded. In 2012, he moved to a small village nearby and formed a group to guide visitors around the castle and the hamlet. Given my experience and the empathy I feel towards this place, I would advise every young person to try to breathe these places to live them more deeply. These lands also represent the very heart of their identity. 
Italy's culture ministry this month awarded Rocca Calascio nearly 17 million pounds to restructure, a welcome boost for the future of this ancient beauty. Neil Woodrow, NTD News. Australian tennis superstar Ash Barty announces her retirement. The 25-year-old made the decision at the top of her game and just two months after claiming a third Grand Slam title at the Australian Open. And this is perfect for me to share it with you, to talk to you about it, um, with my team, my loved ones, that I'll be retiring from tennis. And it's the first time I've actually said it out loud. And um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I, I've said it to my team. Um, multiple times it's just I don't have that in me anymore I don't have the the physical drive the emotional um, want and and kind of everything it takes to to challenge yourself at the very top of the level anymore and I think I just know that I'm absolutely I am spent um, I just know physically I have nothing more to give the women's tennis world number one walks away with 15 titles to her name the last coming at the Australian Open this marks Barty's second retirement from the sport, having walked away from the game as a teenager in 2014. She returned in 2016 and rose rapidly up the ranks, but she never made any secret of her dislike for the touring life and her battles with homesickness. She says realizing her one true dream by winning Wimbledon last year changed her perspective on the sport. She bows out with almost $24 million in career prize money and as an Australian national hero. If you're planning to visit Yosemite National Park this summer, you're going to have to log on to your computer first. The park's reservation system went live Wednesday for people to make a reservation during the peak season. That's from May 20th through September 30th. And officials say all visitors will have to reserve their spot in order to get into the park. That can be done at recreation.gov. There's a $2 non-refundable reservation fee, and it doesn't cover the $35 per car entrance charge. The 124th spacewalk at the International Space Station is underway. Astronauts Rajachari and Matthias Maurer are making upgrades to the ISS, including installing hoses on a radiator beam valve module and replacing an external camera. The entire spacewalk is expected to last around six and a half hours. On March 30th, the count at the space station will drop to seven when another NASA astronaut returns to Earth. By the time he touches down, he'll have spent 355 straight days in outer space, which will break the previous record set by NASA. Now we'll take a look at seven powerful foods that can help boost immunity just in time for the cold and flu season. Here's Gina Marie, who brings us Strong Mind and Body. Cold and flu season is upon us, so if you don't want to get bogged down with illness, then make sure you wash your hands diligently. You should also try to avoid people who are sick. And another great trick is boosting your immune system. 
makes sure it has all the fighting powers to ward off illness when it strikes. An easy way to boost your immunity is with the foods you eat. Healthy food is packed with essential vitamins and nutrients your immune system needs in order to stay strong. When you eat unhealthy foods, you are weakening your immune system. It won't be able to fight off threats as effectively. In this video, we will show you the best foods to eat in order to boost your immunity. It will also help you to ward off the cold and flu. Number one, chicken soup. Chicken soup isn't just a comfort food from your childhood, it can actually help fight illness. Chicken soup provides you with fluids and offers anti-inflammatory properties that can improve symptoms. Make sure you add chicken bones, garlic, ginger and onion. Number two, citrus fruits. Everyone knows you should stock up on citrus fruits as they are packed with vitamin C. That is a great immune booster. Number three, garlic, onions, and leeks. These foods contain immune-boosting compounds that are natural antibiotics. Number four, yogurt. Yogurt contains healthy probiotics, and considering that a large part of your immune system is your gut, it's important that your gut stays healthy. Number five, red wine. Red wine has a powerful antioxidant that improves overall health, but don't assume you should drink a lot to reap the benefits. Drinking red wine in moderation is the key, as too much of it can be detrimental on your health. Number six, mushrooms. Mushrooms have long been hailed for their medicinal purposes. They can help cells fight off infections and support a healthy immune system. And number seven is black pepper. Black pepper has compounds that can fight off a fever and relieve pain. For maximum benefits, mix black pepper, ground ginger, and vinegar together for a natural medication. Add these foods to your daily diet and you can build up a stronger immune system that can help lower your risk of illness. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.